So is it the question of asking which questions to So I think that Professor will just go on for a little bit more and then we'll have uh, another question and answer, hopefully an answer session, but I'm sure there'll be a question session. So over to Professor. Thank you, Sandy. I'll say a few words about the so-called crime of 1873. So during this period, there was quiet and no great disturbances. And even after that, and then the silver price fell sufficiently and the miners got organized. There were a lot of silver mines in the western United States. At the time of 1873, there's only one state where there was an important silver mine, and this was the state of Nevada, and the famous uh, Comstock Lode, very rich silver uh, a load is the name, right? Uh, <laughs> discovered in 1858. And then, very profitable, and it was still profitable after the silver price started falling, but I think around this time, the silver miners started to feel the pinch. And they looked into the history of that, they had to go back quite a few years to see that something fishy happened in 
1973. And then a political movement started <coughs> in the United States. And they invented the slogan, the crime of, of 1873, that was, I think, 1885, the crime of 1873. <coughs> it was started by the Silver Miners. Oh, yes, the first uh, Silver Stone was Nevada. The other areas where the silver mines were, such as Idaho, uh, Colorado, and a few others, were not yet formally states. They were just territories of the United States. But during that period, one after another became uh, formally state of the Union, so that each time a new silver state was added, they gained two senators, as you know every state sends two senators to the Senate. And so ultimately there were more than a dozen silver senators and they all joined the outcry of the miners. That something fishy happened and they called it the crime of uh, 1873. And uh, eventually this political movement became so strong that they found their leader in the person of of William Jennings Bryan, a very gifted orator and clever politician with leftist leanings, you know, with the heart for the poor people and the downtrodden people and uh, big hatred for the bankers. So there was a polarization in the country on the East Coast. The uh, banking lobby was very strong and as you went west, the agricultural interests also considered themselves uh, suppressed or handicapped by the banking uh, interest in the country, the big banks, Wall Street and others. And there were these mortgages, the mortgage holders were the banks in the East and the farms which were mortgaged were mid-country uh, mid and, and they also felt themselves enslaved 
by the bankers because they contracted their mortgages when uh, silver was still money and of course with the uh, mint was close to silver at that moment their mortgage became payable in gold so this made it very difficult for the fireburners to service their mortgages. They thought they owed the money, they owed the uh, mortgage in silver and they found out they had to pay in gold. This huge, huge uh, premium on gold, increasing premium on the gold as opposed to silver. <coughs> so, this, as I say, polarized the country and the debate became more and more heated and uh, the cry was crime of 1873 and a lot of people felt it on their skins that something bad was done against them and they rallied under that movement and they found a very uh, outspoken and uh, dynamic leader in the person of William Jennings Bryan. He ran for presidency three times, never made it, but it was very close and uh, some of these uh, campaigns, presidential election campaigns were, were, uh, were uh, unusually, uh, what's the word, uh, virulent and uh, in one of the famous speeches, William Jennings Bryan, uh, who was, they phrased it in terms of the gold-silver controversy and the gold standard was against the poor people and in favor, uh, they were favored by the rich people and, uh, and uh, so they demanded their silver money back. And one of the memorable phrases which William Jennings Bryan used in the, that was already in, eight, in 1896 was a presidential election year. Uh, the memorable phrase was that thou shalt not push down this crown of uh, thorns, <coughs> reminding you of Jesus, uh, who was given a crown of thorns, on the brow of labor, 
and thou shalt not crucify labor on this cross of gold. Very famous uh, quotation which survived. And uh, it gives you the gives you a taste of this uh, presidential election campaign. Uh, I think this was the second trial of his to get the presidency on the Democratic Party side, and he was opposed by McKinley, who represented the gold standard, the interest of the gold block. And that's the same McKinley who was elected. And I think in 1901 he was assassinated at the Chicago Exposition. So this is when Theodore Roosevelt came in. But that's just to put the thing into perspective. The, uh, uh, William Jennings Bryan surfaced uh, quite a few years later as the Secretary of State in the uh, uh, Wilson administration, I think in 1912, the uh, uh, hotly contested presidential uh, election ended with the defeat of both Roosevelt and uh, there was a split on the right and the Democrat Woodrow Wilson came in and he picked his Secretary of State in the person of uh, William Jennings Bryan and that's interesting because you know the second year of his presidency uh, the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 was signed into law and uh, uh, this in a way satisfied the wishes of the silver rights as this movement was, was uh, called and it was a reward to the silver right movement that there. In what way? Hmm? In what way, Professor, was it a reward? I don't get that. You see, uh, everybody saw it as an inflationist, an inflationist victory, the Federal Reserve Act, that people with mortgages will have now paper money instead they didn't get their silver but they got something in a way better than silver paper money this Federal Reserve notes which helped the uh, the uh, agricultural sector society but also in a way the silver mines you see well, in any way, in any case, this was the perception. 
So uh, there is uh, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., a large painting which I find uh, interesting. Uh, I used to have a copy of a reproduction of that which I uh, lost, but probably it can be found on the internet, I'm not sure. It's a large oil painting showing the sitting president, Wilson, with a pen and signing the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 and standing just beside, overlooking his shoulder, is William Jennings Bryan and there's a grin on his face, showing him very, very satisfied with the result. In a way, you might even say, well, I got more than I wanted, so this is my reward, you know, for... Because imagine he sacrificed uh, well over a decade of his life to this agitation in favor of they call it free, free silver because the uh, aim was to restore the free coinage of silver, the open the mint to silver. Never happened, but they got instead they got the Federal Reserve Act. I don't know what William Jennings Bryan would think if he was still alive and look around what his beloved Federal Reserve notes have done to the country and to the world, right? So, that is the story on the crime of 1873. And I'm just adding, and this is my phrase, the crime of 1971, when President Nixon uh, closed the gold window. Of course, that was not the gold window that was closed, but it was just eliminating the gold standard, the last vestiges of the gold standard. The uh, mint to gold was closed by Franklin Roosevelt in 1933. Uh, okay. He was elected president in 1932, inaugurated early in March 1933, and one of his very first uh, uh, deeds was to confiscate the gold coins and gold certificates which people uh, had and closing the gold window. So the double eagle was the $20 gold piece, the 1933 issue, only a few were issued, was especially a sore point for him and he had to track down the, if they found 
that you had a 1933 gold eagle. Now you were in trouble with the law because uh, this was the critical year and they wanted to track down the last which existed somewhere out there. There weren't too many and uh, uh, I say this because if they made some exemptions. For instance, if you were a coin collector, you had some gold coinage, early coinage, or even recent coinage of uh, the gold dollar. There were, of course, the double eagle, the eagle, half eagle, even quarter eagle. There was also a one dollar gold piece, but this was smaller than a dime and was never popular, so they discontinued that. But uh, what I'm saying here is that uh, collectors, coin collectors, were allowed to keep their gold coins, but not the 1933. This was a special effort to uh, call them in and if you found you were found in violation of this, it was not a law, it was just a presidential order. And single-handedly closed the uh, mint to gold, which is absolutely unconstitutional. There's just no question about it. But they didn't even bother to involve Congress and they ended the gold standard. Now, a year later, 1934, uh, the United States did go back to the gold standard, but without gold coins, because possession of gold was illegal, was declared illegal by the president, and uh, as a consequence, uh, it was not a real gold standard, it was a uh, uh, distorted gold standard uh, because the gold coins were simply not available and only foreigners could redeem paper dollars for gold dollars and of course there was a devaluation of the dollar previously. It was $20.60 and 60 some cents an ounce of gold, and the dollar was devalued. So as a result, the price of gold was increased, and the figure was $35 an ounce of, an ounce of gold. But, uh, residents of the United States were not allowed to buy gold at that price. Only foreigners were, and foreign banks, central banks and financial institutions. So, the end, the curtain fell on the gold standard in the United States and in the world, unfortunately. Uh, 
with what I call the crime of 1971. Just, just a presidential proclamation closing the gold window. Well, it was much more than closing the gold window. It was the fall of the curtain on a very important period of history, the gold standard. And uh, it's, it was almost exactly 40 years ago, because actually it was August 15, uh, 1971, and uh, I think I, I had occasion earlier in this course to say a few words about since this is uh, anniversary of that date and some uh, stories appeared which revealed certain minor details but the importance of the event is extremely high and uh, if you look back this four decades in between that date and today, you will find the very great damage which had been done. And unfortunately, this is not the end of it. There is much worse is coming. So the word is be prepared. I think we have had lots of opportunities to say what to expect. Uh, it's not just hyperinflation, it's something much worse than that. It's, uh, and the name is not important, some people call it deflation, but actually <coughs> what is happening is uh, the destruction of wealth, destruction of capital. This is happening day after day, and the, the uh, end of the road, it will be probably uh, uprising, blood in the street, and breakdown of law and order, uh, something which we wish should not happen, whether it will be possible uh, and Ron Paul, the presidential candidate for the next year presidential election, whether he can do much about it or not, is very doubtful. At that moment, doesn't look that he will make it. He will become the next president. But who knows? I mean, things could start happening very quickly, and. Uh, Maybe he has a chance, but then again, he's an old man, so we just don't know. All right, uh, uh, let's have a discussion, and then I will continue with the story as uh, in terms of China, which is a very important country in that silver saga. So let's go yep. to question. Any 
questions, comments? Criticism. I would have one comment. So, in school, I was always taught that William Jennings Bryan was definitely leftist and um, a populist. It's interesting to me how, by representing himself as being in favor, you know, in the in the conflict of interest that the government creates between the peasant class and the banker class, he represented himself as being for the peasant class, and in 1913, enact something that is seemingly for the benefit of the peasant class, but the Federal Reserve benefits who? The banker class. <laughs> so he, he actually achieved the diametric opposite of what he said he was out for. Yeah. It's interesting because without principles, if he's just a yeah. pragmatic power luster, which is how, I haven't thought about him in 30 years since I was in school, but if he's just a pragmatic power luster, he has this populist message, and then when he's in office, what does he do? Yeah. The seeming exact opposite. Yeah. But it's actually the same thing. What he wanted in 1896 was inflation. He got it in 1913. Yeah. Uh, is, is he still being taught as a historic figure? After all, he's, well, he was a failure. In the 1970s, he was still being taught. Uh -huh. <laughs> Today, I have no idea. No. But I was, I was in uh, junior high school, which is probably the last time I'd, I had studied him, in 1979, 1980. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was, that's the last, I haven't thought about him in you know, 30, 30 years. Was he pictured as a sympathetic uh, figure or Well, we, I, I had penned the, the so, it was called social studies. We had already abandoned history in favor of, of social studies. And the socialist studies teacher, which is what I called him, was very leftist that I had wow. in, that, in that year. And so that teacher was very sympathetic to William Jennings Bryan, yeah. but the conclusion I had in my budding little capitalist brain, even then, was everything the teacher wants is wrong, so I want the opposite. <laughs> and so Bryan was, was appealing to the rabble and, and uh, you know, saying, well, if we, if we make things cheaper, that would be good. I remember thinking the real problem, this is what I was thinking in 1979, the real problem was for the farmers that efficiency had gotten 